Episode 63, From Luring to Podcasting, A Recovering Lawyer's Journey. Robert Ingalls of Law Pods. My next guest is Robert Ingalls. Robert is a recovering attorney, professional speaker, and founder of Law Pods, one of the first podcast production agencies for law firms. At Law Pods, Robert and his team help some of the premier law firms in the world launch and grow branded podcasts that build relationships and drive revenue. Join us as we talk about Robert's journey from practicing law to being the producer of lawyers' podcasts and more. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Just a quick shout out before we start. Are you enjoying the page podcast? Consider giving us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feeds. Also, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks. And again, enjoy. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's lovely to be here. I appreciate it. I've listened to a few episodes of this and I really enjoy going down that tech rabbit hole. So I appreciate you having me. Well, I appreciate you being here. And to get things started, got to ask, what is your current tech setup? Oh, wow. This could go on for a long time. But right now I am using the Heil PR40. That's what you're hearing me through. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what is all that? The Heil the PR40 microphone. Ah, okay. Missed the microphone part. Yeah. Go Heil ahead. PR40. That's this baby. Pretty sexy little mic there. And I love this mic. It has a special spot in my heart. I listened to my first podcast in September of 2015. Within okay. 30 days, I owned this microphone. Wow. And it says a little bit about who I am. A, I like to jump into stuff, but I also like to go big. And because, okay. I mean, this mic, I think at the time was like $330, which was a good wow. bit of money to me at the oh. time. And so that's the mic I'm still using. I love it. And then it's attached to the Heil shock mount and the mm-hmm. Heil PL2T arm. Okay. So lots of Heils here. Yeah. And then that goes into the Rodecaster Pro, which is if anybody's looking to get into podcasting, they mm-hmm. don't want to really dive into the tech get really too far down the rabbit hole on that. The Roadcaster is a really great machine. I've actually got a second one here that I can, I'll show it to you. I know that we're just audio, but yeah, I've got that, got the Roadcaster on my desk. It really takes the ability to have conversations in person and bring in people from the computer or mobile device and makes it a lot easier than it was when I first started. You had to use a mixer and all kinds of different chords and right, right. it was, the learning curve was steep. Gotcha. Gotcha. But would a typical, I don't think a typical podcaster would need something like that. Yeah, generally not. It's, there's a few different things about it that make it really nice. I feel like it's one of those things that you'll start to get to and realize, okay, Mm. this would actually be really nice to have. And your microphone, is there anything special about it? Does it have like a built-in condenser? Is there anything particularly special about that? So this mic is a dynamic cardioid mic and dynamic Hey, I'm not, a, I'm, I don't come from an audio background, but basically the dynamic is usually good for most podcasters who are especially hobbyists because where a condenser microphone is going to be very sensitive. So when you're in your spare bedroom and the heat kicks on, it's going to pick up a lot of that room noise. And if you're shuffling papers, if the cat is meowing next door, it's going to pick up a lot of that. But your mouth noises even. And when you have a dynamic mic, it's not going to be quite as sensitive, but you're going to get what you need. You're going to get your voice in there without picking mm-hmm. up too much background noise. So a dynamic mic is pretty good for certainly a hobbyist. And then the cardioid is just the pickup pattern. That means that this microphone is going to pick up right in front of me. So if okay. I kind of move around to the side, you don't hear right. it the same anymore. It's just picking up right here. And that's what you want, because the only thing I want you hearing for the most part is my voice. Excellent. 
And what's that on your head? Yeah, these are the Sony, I always have to remember what they are, the Sony MDR7506s. And I ended up with those the same way. I bought them at the same time I bought the microphone. Okay. And I was following this guy, Cliff Ravenscraft. He was called the Podcast Answer Man back in the day. Okay. And he was one of the first people online teaching other people how to podcast. And I was following him and he had this whole setup of things. He's like, you should buy this and this. And these headphones were pretty popular. I think they're very popular. You see them in... When you see people editing in Hollywood, you'll see this specific headphone. And I was like, go big or go home, right? And so that's why I got these. And I ended up really liking them because I wear them all day. When I'm having calls with clients, no matter what I'm doing, this is what's on my head. And so I needed something that I could put on and keep on for eight hours that wouldn't hurt my head. And it's, it Roger. can be kind of hard to find headphones that fit that bill. Excellent. Excellent. Well, what else do you have on there tech-wise? So tech-wise in front of me, I always am using my macbook pro with the m1 pro chip oh my word that thing has mm -hmm. changed my life I, I was using the intel chip up until the last few months and i switched over to this one but this thing's great i became a mac guy in the second year of law school okay. my hp died had to get a computer so i bought a used mac i was using it for about two weeks and i said i will like it would take so much now to ever make me go back and i stand by that i'm just i'm all in on the mac world and then i'm hooked up to the Rodecaster Pro, obviously, we talked about that. And then I have just two basic 24-inch monitors. I think one's a HP and one's Asus. These are ones I've had for a few years now. And they, I don't handle, I don't do video editing or anything like that myself. Okay. So I have managed to convince myself not to purchase anything more because I can see what I need to see. And I have a really bad habit of convincing myself I need things, need this. And so I'm so proud of myself that I'm still using these older monitors that were like 150 a piece. Oh, I think I've got you be, I've got right, the Mac XDR monitor, which is yeah. goes for 6K because as I'm getting more into content creation, yeah. I, and trust me, I love it. And then meanwhile, I've got two RK LGs flanking me left and right. So if I had an extra $12,000, I would go and get two other XDR monitors. I think my wife yeah, even- Yeah, I don't think that my enough. wife would notice Hopefully, but at the same time, I'll buy those monitors when I exit, after my company exit. Well, what else do you have? So I have a few things that I keep really close to me. I create a lot of content, whether it's mm -hmm. with uh, virtually with clients or whether for myself. One of the things I like to keep around is a shotgun mic. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's they come in all kinds. They use a Rode shotgun mic and they you can get one that's USB. So you can grab it, you can plug it right into your computer and stand somewhere and have it kind of pointed at you keep your mic out of frame if you want to. If you want to create contact content where your mic's not in the frame, right. you can use a shotgun mic, hook it up to your phone, hook it up to your computer so you can use it to your webcam. And, and that's something I like to use a lot. And then I always keep a selfie stick that has a tripod on it because it's such a good content device. I know selfie sticks gained a lot of ire in pop culture for a long time. But I mean, if you're making content, it's such a wonderful device to have. And I don't think I ever take it and hold it, point it at myself and take pictures, but I will hold it and create video or I'll use that tripod to set up the camera on it and hold it and create video with it. And then I always have a few different microphones around depending on what I'm trying to do. Sometimes I want a different microphone in the shot. That's more mm -hmm. aesthetic for me. And I got, I have a couple of things around that I used to use a lot. I have my ScanTech. That was yep. just my ScanTech scanner was just scan snap that's what it's called scan snap oh oh okay no, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. frankly a mainstay for almost any attorney especially a solo yeah. solo practitioner i have one i've had yeah. two they are fantastic fujitsu scans yeah. 
Yeah, I use that. Like that thing was just a core of my business. Yeah, actually, I used to even carry it around with me. I would go to the clerk's office with it and plug it in mm -hmm. if I had like lots of stuff I needed to handle because I had a mobile right. scanner and it was so slow and so terrible that I could put a hundred pages in this thing and right. be done. And I found that just toting it around in a suitcase actually was a good use of it. But I'll tell you, it's not even plugged in right now. I've just, my world has changed to the degree that every now and again, I need to scan something. And so I'll plug it in, I'll scan it, and then I'll take it in, and then I'll unplug it. And then we have a printer. It's not even in my office anymore. I don't print anything anymore. What was your, I was about to say that, you know, what's being used less and less more than the scan snap is the printer. Yeah. And what printer did you have or do you have? It's some kind of HP. I don't even remember. The, if we rewind the clock. I was, I had some beast printers when I was practicing. We had these beasts, these monster size oh, yeah. lasers because we were doing mailers and I did unemployment benefits hearings for a long time and we would do mailers to them. So we were sending out thousand letters a week. And so I had these beastly printers and now it, we've slowed down so much that every two years, I feel like it's about every two years, printer just stops working. We go buy another hundred dollar printer. It seems like they're disposable at this point. Seriously, it's every two to three years, they just stop working. We buy a new one. Wait, I don't even try I, to figure out what's wrong with it. I find that amazing though, when you, if, especially if you have an HP printer, because the HP printers I've had over the years and money, so I've been using them for like three decades. They last like 10 plus years. And when they die, it's rather unusual. And I've only had to replace the printer once in here. But the last printer I got, current one I have, is a 507DN and it's a laser jet and it does automatic double side, which is nice. perfect. Uh, so I had a really good success with the old. HP laser jet black and white, like yep. those things were beast. Yep. But the ones we have now, like just because it's the only one in the house now, we always get the color right. printer. And I don't know, we have not had good success with those. All right. I have not purchased a color printer. I don't have a need for one. I can't think of a reason why I would need one. And plus there's like a Staples or a Kinko's right. where you can just send it to, if you need to have like some sort of something color printed. And quite frankly, in 16 years of practice and 30 years as a all this fun stuff I've been doing as a student and as a lawyer and whatnot, I have not needed to the color printer. So wait, what phone are you using? iPhone 13 Pro. Are you going to get the 14? I'm not. So I'm, I tr that's another area where I, I like to give myself credit. I don't upgrade every time. And it's, I usually like my last one was the 11 and I didn't do the 12 and then I finally did the 13. Because it was a big enough jump. And I mean, the, the technology starts to deteriorate a little bit to a point where your usability, your functionality on the phone starts to go down. Things take a little longer. Certain apps don't work as well. Right. That's definitely the threshold for me is when I'm doing something, if it starts to slow down, that's why I had to replace my computer. I do a ton of recording for people. Right. And so I'm hopping on and I need, I'm using resources. I need to have multiple programs that are pretty heavy running at one time. That's how my workflow goes. And so then I get on, I'm running a resource intensive pro app like Riverside to record my podcast for clients and the fan on my Intel, it was a nice Intel, but the fan right. would start running. And yeah. as a podcaster, that makes noise. It comes in your mic and it just starts to slow the computer down a little bit. And so I was like, okay, I got to upgrade. And that's kind of my threshold. My 11 started to slow down. I had even replaced the battery, but the battery was still a little shoddy. Sometimes it wouldn't make it through the day and I need a battery that makes it through the day. So even with a new battery, it wouldn't. And after a while, okay, now it's time. And then, so I got the 13 Pro, but then the 14 came out and there wasn't enough about it that made me say, okay, because I look at it, I check it out I see what's what, I go to the store, we have a store pretty close to us. I go over there, I look at it and I go, no, 
there just wasn't enough about it that made me feel like I have to have this, that it was going to change anything in any fundamental way and make my life easier or better. The camera is a big one for me. And this camera on the 13 Pro is outstanding. The cinematic mode, you can get that blurry background. It looks great. Mm -hmm. But why not the Max versus the Pro? Oh, part of that, I didn't feel like I necessarily needed it. Okay. And, and part of it is kind of making, trying to think of the right word used here, rationalizing the price. Okay. For the features. Right, right. Because when sense. it comes to like the M1 Pro, that's an e that's easy for me. It's easy for me to see the incredible difference between the M1 chip and the M1 Pro, or even the M2 chip in the M1 Pro. But for the 13 Pro to the max, I didn't see where that was going to. I wasn't able to rationalize to myself where that was going to make a noticeable difference in my life other than, ooh, giddy, I'm giddy to have the new best thing. So a couple things. One, are you on any of their lease programs, whether it be for the phone or for your computer? The release programs? Tell me more. Lease programs. Oh, the lease programs. I am not. I did lease a phone at one point, but I end up, I usually end up keeping my phone longer than two years. Okay. And I don't like to be stuck either. And because I did lease one time and then I realized, oh, I want to have this phone. And then after you, if you want to just keep it and not upgrade, then they'll sell it to you. But at that point, you're still kind of paying a little bit more. So I've just, I've decided to buy them. I like owning them. Fair enough. And, and we'll see. I might change my mind, but at this point, that was something I, I own all of it. Well, then I have to ask, do you have an Apple business account? I don't have an Apple business account. Is that something they're I should get? Yes, they're free. And you get white glove service already with Apple, but this is white glove upon white glove. And on top of that, you can sort of get really small discounts if you spend enough over a certain time. And even though they're small discounts, they're discounts nevertheless. So when yeah. you can get a discount, take the discount. The next time you're in an Apple store, I would just ask someone, hey, how do I sign up for a business account? They'll help you right there and then. And it's been great. It really yeah, has. I love it. I spend a lot of money at the Apple store. So. But lastly, the last tip I want to mention before we move on is that I notice every now and then you have to like turn away from your mic because you have to cough or sneeze or something. There's this device I'm holding up that I know my viewers have heard me talk about before called Mute Me, M-U-T-E oh, yeah. dot me. That. And earlier when we were off mic, I accidentally put my coffee cup on, on the Mute Me button and I muted myself. That's why you couldn't hear me earlier. Yeah. But they're great little devices to have while you're podcasting. Yeah, I've seen that. I love it. And I'll actually tell you, if anybody was listening, they probably didn't notice Please. me doing any of that because right. I have the Roadcaster and I just turn it right down. So like okay. I, I turn to cough, it's kind of out of habit, right, right. but I always try to mute myself just because I've been at this a little while and I know how aggressive that sounds on your side when yep. you have to edit it and hopefully try to get it out. Well, that's why I have someone else do the editing for me. I understand. But, but I still go through and like when there's long pauses, I still like to pull those out and whatnot to kind of keep things just smooth and streamlined for the listener. You got to appreciate the listener, yeah. Was there any other tech device you wanted to share before we get to the questions? So I'll tell you, the one of the best things to try to help a listener who's thinking about, hey, I want to maybe at least try my hand at podcasting or record some mm -hmm. audio and have it sound good, is get a USB microphone. They're really easy to use. They're plug and play. Like what I'm using right now. Now, hold on. I'm going to make you pause that because Please. we're going to be getting into what are three key pieces of hardware or software a lawyer should be using when doing their podcast. There you That's go. number two. So we're okay. going to get there, but I'm going to hold that and we're going to start off with the questions, if that's okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What, question number one, what are three reasons a lawyer should be doing a podcast? So three reasons? Three. Well, I do everything in I'll threes. Be, three I questions, love it. I, uh, three answers. 
I'll start talking. You hold me to the three, okay? The, I mean, one of the biggest is exposure, I think, is making sure that you are showing up because for a long time, lawyer marketing was word of mouth. Right. It was, this is my person. This is the lady that does my wills. This is my lawyer. And firms made a really successful living establishing themselves, building their practice, and really having good word of mouth. There were yellow pages. Once upon a time, that was a really good way to do things. But that's it's that's a, a bygone error. When I was still practicing law, I knew lawyers who were getting to the point where they were ready to retire, and they met with a broker to try to see if they could sell their firm, and they were astounded to find that their firm was worth 20% of what they were expecting it was going to be worth because the market had changed. And it just, they were, that was their kind of their retirement plan was to be able to make a good bit of money selling that firm. And right. I'm sure that there's still places and still lawyers that can do that. And, but word of mouth has changed to every, it's all, we're online now. And we yep. saw lawyers for a long time that refused to get a website. We don't need a website. That's not how we do things. That's not how we get clients. Not anymore. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, but how many waited too long? And they did the same thing with social media. And you actually, you're still seeing it with social media that they waited and they waited. And then they finally got a Facebook account and they got that Facebook account when it was already too late, when the organic breach of Facebook was dead. Right. Then they got an Instagram account when that started to go. Then they jump on things once they're completely safe, but they've also kind of missed the window. And right. you're seeing that same thing right now, like TikTok. And so, I mean, so I know some companies are like, well, that's... They might have political, social reasons for deciding that they don't want their firm there. But more often than not, I hear people tell me that they don't want to be there because oh, that we're not getting in all that weird stuff that TikTok is. They have this idea of what it is instead of taking a moment to see what it is and right. understand the organic reach that TikTok is affording them right now. YouTube Shorts is very similar. Instagram Reels, they're affording so much organic reach. And so when we're creating this content, we are showing up where the eyeballs are, where people are. And importantly, we're answering their question because in this moment, people want answers. Most people are researching. Even if you were to text me and say, Rob, I need a lawyer to do a family law matter for me in Wake County. I'm going to say, here's a couple of people that I've had a good experience with. What's the first thing you're going to do? You might be the kind of person that calls them right away. Most people are going to go to their website. Even with a warm recommendation, you're going to Google them. You're going to go to their website. You're probably going to read a couple of reviews just to make sure that other people haven't had a bad experience. You're going to see what they're about. What are they doing? And most people have questions. They need that lawyer, that family law lawyer, because they are considering maybe splitting up from their spouse. They have questions. Yep. Should, can they take half the money in the bank account? Because what if they don't? And what would happen? Can they do this? Can they do that? What's going to happen with the kids on Christmas? They have pain points. And if you're not making content, you're not answering those pain points. You're right. hoping that someone will come to your website and that will see your video that's like 60 seconds long that shows all of the books that you've accumulated over your practice. And they're going to go, wow, look at those books. That person really knows what they're talking about. And oh, 900 years of combined experience. Well, I've got to call them, right? And that so many lawyers rely on that. And that's it. There's not a blog. There's not an FAQ. There's not video content. There's not podcast content answering questions. That's one of the biggest reasons that I think people should have a podcast is because you need to be creating content that will answer questions for people that will start to build a relationship with them. It will establish you as the expert in their mind. 
But we're also looking at this idea of reciprocity as well. I mean, that, that's very real with humans where you are the person that gave them the information, but not only did you give them the information, you made them feel better because oh, they nice had fight. pain points. Yeah. yeah, they had pain points. They had fears. And if you made good content that spoke directly to them, you let them know, I know what I'm talking about. I've been here before and here's what's going to happen next. Here's how we do this. I've, we know how to do this together. That's going to relieve some of their anxieties. And that is valuable. And, and I think it's undervalued in most lawyers' minds. They don't understand how valuable that good feeling you gave somebody is. Because what did somebody, there's a quote that says, people won't always remember what you say. They'll remember how you made them feel. We want to make people feel good. And at that point, they're going to feel, okay, th th I know this person. I even know their sense of humor a little bit because I listen to them. I'm going to set an appointment. Then you set that appointment and you have a conversation with them. You already know their voice. You already have right. this like good yeah. feeling for them the moment they open their mouth. And where I feel like this word has been just abused in popular culture over the past year, I used to say, I used to say we are pre-grooming someone to feel comfortable with us. And now I need to come up with a different phrase, but we're really yeah, making them pre grooming is not good. Right, right. Yeah. And, but we're but, getting them ready. We're getting right. them comfortable with us because at the end of that discussion, we're going to ask them to write a check, $10,000, $20,000. We're going to ask them to go on a journey with us. And even if it's like injury law or something, we're going to ask them to sign a contract with us to say, hey, we're your lawyer and we're going to go do this together. And if they haven't reached that level of comfort at the end of our discussion and they say, I'd like to think about it, now we have put ourselves in a situation where we're, our odds of signing that client, if they leave, go down drastically. And so content does a really good job of allowing them to get to know you and like you and hopefully trust you and sign with you. That was a lot for kind of like pillar number one. Mm -hmm. But one of the greatest parts of a podcast, I'll go to pillar number two and I'll see if I can Please. fish out a perfect one for three. It's a content marketing machine. That's probably the reason that companies like mine mm -hmm. been successful is when a, for a long time, lawyers were creating content by writing. They were writing blogs. Right. And I think blogs are very helpful. You want content on your website, but one of the downsides to blogs is they take a long time. Yeah. When you sit down, you have to, you're staring at the blank page. First, you have to come up with the idea, what am I going to write about? What am I going to answer? Then I got to write it. I got to sit, I got to write it. And if you're anything like me, you've got to then throw it away and rewrite it and then edit it and re-edit it. And then after you publish it, you've got to notice some typos and come back and fix those. And it's quite a process to get a blog post done. That's why a lot of lawyers put them in their business development plan and the blog goes silent after like three or four posts because they're like, I don't have the time for this. I have to practice law. My job is practicing law, not sitting around writing blog posts. And what the podcast does such a phenomenal job of doing is you take that same prompt. What am I going to write about? And you sit down at a microphone and you have a conversation with somebody else in the firm about it. You have a conversation with somebody outside, whether it's an expert, maybe it's the PI if you're family law, maybe it's a doctor if you're a PI attorney to talk about specific things, but you have a conversation that helps answer a specific question. And 15 minutes, most, I mean, most of those, especially informational type of things, around 15 minutes, maybe 20, not very long, sometimes 10. You have that conversation. And now if you've got a team, whether in-house or you're outsourcing, that's the last that you generally need to see it. Your team is going to edit it. They're going to create a show notes or a blog post from that episode that you made. Right, if right. they are capturing the video, which we strongly recommend capturing the video from every episode that you're doing, and you take that video, you edit that, now that's on YouTube. And most of our clients actually get better listenership, viewership on YouTube than they do the podcast itself. And so you put it on well, YouTube. And uh, let, let, me, let me ask you a question about that. So, all right, I've made a podcast, all right, a podcast, not a video cast. 
but not a video chat, do I put my podcast, the audio only, on YouTube? Some people will listen to it, yes. Okay. It, I mean, yeah. well, is it, yes, some people will listen to it, but will enough people listen to it to actually make a difference? For some shows, they do. Some okay. shows enjoy it. I mean, there's, this is hotly debate because people, some people get wrapped up in, this, in the semantics of it and they'll say it's a podcast, it's not a video cast. I think that if you're creating content, you create content that speaks directly to your ideal listener. Who's your ideal listener? What do they want? If you have enough ideal listeners that enjoy listening to your podcast on YouTube, then you should put it there. And that's, it's, I would never sit and listen to a podcast on YouTube. I might watch a video on YouTube that was a podcast. I very much so. I might enjoy that, especially like comedians. I do enjoy actually watching yes. comedians interact with each other. It's a show. It's theater. But consistently, we see numbers of people listening to podcasts on YouTube that are pretty high. And some people will, they like to go to YouTube, find the podcast they like, and then just play it and then go to another tab and listen to it in the background. But even audio only podcasts that have a static image on them, mm -hmm. people listen to those on YouTube. Now, your mileage may vary, depends on your show, you're following things like that. So the, whether or not having 10 or 50 listens is worth the effort it takes, put it on YouTube, I think is very show specific. But if you're using a platform, Zoom records video, we use Riverside for all of our work records high quality video, we'll take that video and we will edit that video specifically to put it on YouTube for people who want to watch it that way. Pardon the interruption. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Consider sharing this show with others. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your download feeds. If you're listening directly from our blog, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks again and enjoy. Well, let me ask you this. One thing that's become popular, I think, on YouTube is the coffee shop setting or the fireplace setting and listening to some sort of long set of music like jazz or holiday music or punk rock band, if that's what you're into, or just hearing coffee shop noises and having not a static picture, but like a slightly moving, constantly moving picture, like, for instance, snowfall in the background or a fireplace crackling. Yeah. Would you recommend something like that for a podcast? Or is that... So I'll start with anything I say here should be seen as my anecdotal opinion. Yes, sir. Because I haven't seen any... Some things I'll say, look, I've seen this is how it works and you can rely on this. There are companies that have created their entire business model around uploading your podcast audio and they will help you add moving pieces to it. Whether it's videos of different things. They'll let you drag and drop stuff to make your podcast audio have some visual appeal. With that said, I think it's nice. I think at a minimum, I would maybe put a waveform. That way, when somebody clicks on it, they see, oh, this there's a moving picture here. I think gotcha. everybody on YouTube generally knows that anyway, but that can give it maybe at the tiniest bit of visual appeal. But the there are services that will allow you to put all kinds of different things without having to know how to use a video editor. To drop gotcha. these things in. Gotcha. But I mean, I, so I don't know. At the end of the day, I don't know if those things are going to add to somebody's enjoyment of what, of listening to your audio only podcast, some elements of video in it. So I guess it depends on the amount of work that it might take for you to put that together versus the amount of value you feel like you're getting out of it. Excellent. Excellent. But I think no, I the think... actual video itself is always going to be the best way to go. And I think I interrupted your response to your answer number two. Right. Oh, yeah. So, well, and one of the things we do, so we've got that video that mm -hmm. we put on YouTube. 
And then you take that in every video, whether it's 10, 15, 20 minutes, there's usually at a minimum two to three little clips, little 60 second Mm -hmm. hits, 30 second hits where you said something valuable, something that because when we're starting this, we think about who's the listener, what do they want, what are they struggling with, what can I give them that will make them a little bit better or answer their question. And I find that hook. What did I say in 30 seconds? What did I say in 60 seconds? I can even cut it down a little tighter. So I'm skipping some of the pauses and superfluous information. And I'll cut that down into a little video with my branding on it. I'll create a template that has my branding. Because, I mean, even if people don't stop and look at it, boom, they got the branding. So as I'm sharing these from every episode, they're being branded to in their social feeds. But it's got my branding. It's got a title that tells the person exactly what they can expect. Okay. So they see that title really quickly. They're qualifying. This, oh, that. That's actually something I'm dealing with. I would like to know more. And then we've got the captions on it because as much as people like to watch video, they want to read it first. They want to make sure that this is actually for them because think about it. I mean, most of us are the same. We're scrolling. We don't want that video to start playing. We do not want to hear people yelling at us as we're scrolling. It's muted generally. And so we come past it. We see the title. We go, okay, that's a little bit for me. We see the captions. We're reading the captions. We go, oh. I do want to know more about that. So we might touch the screen now we can hear it. And even if we don't, we can follow along with the captions. And what we're doing there is we're creating content people are more likely to engage with. They're more likely to see it than they would if you just put your link to your podcast up because social platforms tend not to like links as well, especially if you're dealing with ones like Instagram that aren't even actually going to have a link. But social platforms in general don't show links the same way they do media content because links take eyeballs off the platform and that's their whole business model. And so you're actually going to get content like this scene, but it allows somebody, it's a low friction way of allowing somebody to engage with your content and to perhaps convert them. Because if somebody sees a link on social media, even if Mm -hmm. they see it, what are the odds today? If you're scrolling on LinkedIn and you see a link to a podcast you've never seen before, it might be on a topic that you have semi-interest in. There's a thousand other podcasts on that topic. You're subscribed to five of them already. What are the odds that you're going to click that link and go on that journey with that person? It could go anywhere. The friction involved in converting that person is so high. But if you're scrolling and you see a title that grabs you, visually appealing, you start to read those captions and you're like, now that is, I had never thought about it that way before. That's interesting. You keep reading it. And then at the end, you could go, all right, it got me. I want to hear that episode. You might not subscribe to the podcast, but you were converted in a way that that link almost certainly couldn't have converted you. Right. And so the, the, it's content marketing. You took that 15 minutes of sitting down at the microphone and talking. Your team went and turned it in to all of these different pieces of content across your mm-hmm. social feeds. It's TikTok, Shorts on YouTube, Instagram Reels, Facebook, LinkedIn. And you took those pieces of content. You put them out there from one episode. And now you've taken your impression. We did a case study recently on an episode between posting it to the website and posting it to podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those places, around 1,400 impressions. When you added on the rest of the social media impressions from that, it added 11,000 more impressions. Wow. Now, obviously, the impression you get on the long-form content is generally more valuable. Somebody who's willing to engage with your long-form content is usually getting a little bit more, developing a little more relationship. But 11,000 more impressions just by taking that content, Mm -hmm. breaking it up, putting the full one on YouTube, putting the micro content. And that's just one cycle. That's not taking additional video and then reusing Mm -hmm. the original videos a month later. It's just one cycle from one episode. And so that ability to get that much content marketing with such a minimal 
time investment on the lawyer side because that was a pain point we knew we had to solve. Lawyers don't have time. They do not have time. And so how can we allow them to record from anywhere they are? And this is what, if they have an in-house team, this is what they can do. Set them up with the right setup and they can record from wherever they are, 15-minute episodes. So you can spend an hour and a half per month and have a weekly show where you're creating all of that content that your team can then take and turn into all of this content marketing across multiple channels. Excellent. So that's those are long answers for two. And now I'm kind of like digging around. And I'm like, what's a really good third one here? Well, actually I have it. I probably have five more, but here's one that was criminally undervalued by me initially. And still I think is by a lot of people is the network effect of a podcast. Right now, me and you, like we, hell, I think we talked for 30 minutes before you even hit record. We enjoyed each other. We started to get to know each other, sharing war stories with each other. (laughs) And I know you a little bit now and I got a good vibe for you. And now you're part of my network. As things come up in the future, I know what you do. And I oh, I got this guy that you should talk to. And we have, we're at, we've added value to each other's network just by having this conversation, which you didn't have a podcast. The odds of us crossing paths are infinitely low. We just wouldn't have seen each other out in the world. It's very unlikely. And so some lawyers will say, well, I don't have that kind of show. I disagree. Most of them do because the show isn't just FAQ. It's your show. You can, it's not the kind of show people subscribe to and listen to every episode. Depending. A lot of them are, especially smaller type of firms where you're doing injury work or family law work. That is very FAQ based because people call lawyers like they call plumbers when they have a problem. And so a lot of that stuff is they're looking for what they want, but it also gives you an opportunity to network with other lawyers. You bring another lawyer from another jurisdiction to have a conversation on your podcast. And this is a lot of my clients use this as a way to network with referral sources. I have clients who started their podcast solely to meet other lawyers and get to know their referral sources. And they'll create content. Like one of them is called Trial Lawyer Nation, Michael Cowan. His entire show exists to educate, talk about things that he's done well, things that he's learned. He brings on other noteworthy lawyers and talks about big verdicts they got and what they did and what did the defense do and how did you do it back? A lot of trial skills. And but the reason the podcast exists is to help him generate referrals. He wants you to get to know him, like him, trust him, send him your cases, or even work with him on your cases. And so the, his entire thing is the network effect, meeting lawyers, educating lawyers, and increasing the size of his network and people that know him. And so the network effect of the podcast is incredible. And this is, I don't know if this is a gray area or not, because I haven't seen opinions on it, but right now, like we're lawyers, we can't reach out and say, hey, I saw that you have a business, a technology business. I'd love to talk about representing you, right? Right. And, but I can get to know people in the world. I can have conversations with them. And so I can reach out and say, I have a podcast where we interview some of the most successful CEOs in tech and talk about whatever it is that we talk about, right? And now you're having a conversation with that person on your podcast. You're developing rapport, no like trust. And at a minimum, you are, developing that relationship. You're adding them to your network, but you're also looking at somebody who might be a potential referral source. Hell, I mean, you're looking at somebody who could end up perhaps saying, man, I like the cut of their jib. And I think that this is somebody, they really know what they're talking about. The types of questions they ask me show that they have a deep understanding of my industry. They are excited about it. They're not just pushing paper around trying to make money. 
Like this is somebody who is invested and the ability to develop that relationship with somebody while not asking them for business and not in the environment is outside of that. That's not what you're there for. You're there to provide them value. You're providing them a platform. And even if you were, call, were to call them up and say, I'd love to talk to you, what's the odds they're going to take that call? They're busy. But when right. you give them the platform of your podcast, the that's something of value to them. And so the network effect is, I could talk about it for a lot longer. It's immensely valuable. It's probably the thing that over the course of my podcast career has been the most valuable that has helped me grow personally and professionally. So let's go to our second question. What are three key pieces of hardware or software a lawyer should be using when doing their podcasts? Hardware is probably the most important. The microphone, I think, is going to be a big differentiator for people. And if it wasn't so easy, I might not put as much importance on it. Because I think when you are using your voice to communicate to someone, a lot of people are listening to it in their earbuds and that I think you should respect your listener and have halfway decent audio that isn't difficult for them to listen to, isn't offensive to the ear. But it's also so easy to have good audio now compared to how it used to be. I have, I keep them around, but I have USB microphones and there you can get a really good one for probably 60 bucks. Samson Q2U. That's a good dynamic USB microphone plugs right into your computer, sits right on your desk, and you're going to generally sound pretty indistinguishable from a good mic like I'm talking into right now. There's the ATR2100X. That's another one. That's That one's probably 80 to 100 bucks. If you want to spend a little bit more money, there's the Shure MV7. And it's kind of like the mic that I think Joe Rogan is probably the most famous person to use, the Shure SM7B. It looks a lot like that microphone but it's a little bit smaller and it's USB. You can plug it right into your computer and you can have a really professional sounding microphone. I think that mic's maybe 220. So none of these are going to break the bank, but they're going to make your sound so much better than if you're using a Skype mic. It's just like something you got for a headset mic. Those mics are meant for communication. And Wait, I have to ask, what do you think of my Blue Yeti? So the Blue Yeti is a very good microphone. Do I need to upgrade? So, well, and I don't know that I necessarily call it an upgrade. You, might, you could even call it a lateral move. But if I am, I don't use the Little Yeti because it's a condenser mic. And it's like, if you're in a sound studio, if you've got your room outfitted right, right. for really good sound, you've mm-hmm. got sound conditioning on your walls right. and, and it's, re, it's really set up for good sound, that's a great mic. It really is a great mic. If I was using the Blue Yeti right now, like I can see in your office, you've got stuff. You've got things around and yep. that's going to help a lot because in right in the off, I'm in a spare bedroom in an apartment mm-hmm. while we're waiting to close on our house right now. And there's not a lot of furniture in here. It's kind of bare. The walls don't have anything on them. Right. The amount of room noise and echo I would mm-hmm. get with Blue Yeti compared to what I'm using right now right. would be significant. Gotcha. And so the Yeti is, it really is a very good mic, but for most casual people, it can be a little sensitive if, if in a room environment that isn't completely sound treated. And so it's, it is a good mic. And I mean, it, and honestly, I don't think anybody's going to stop listening. You sound good to me. I don't think anybody's going to stop listening to your podcast because they're like, I don't know. I feel like you might have a little bit more room tone than I'm accustomed to. <laughs> so no, I think you're doing yeah, very the, good. The Blue Yeti was the first thing I bought when I started considering a podcast. So uh, it's well, good to hear. 
Dude, they're sexy though. That's the I think that's one of the reasons that people like them is because like you feel like Walter Cronkite with that thing. It's massive. Yes. yes. And it's got that heft to it. And yep. you just you feel like the legitimate broadcaster with that thing in front of you. So I get the appeal. Are you saying I'm not a legitimate broadcaster? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> All right. So um, audio, that's one. Microphone. Yeah, the, you know, that microphone USB is great. You can plug it right into whatever yep. you're doing and you can podcast from anywhere. Two. So your second thing that you're going to need, generally you want some headphones. Okay. You're going to want something. If you're doing your, if you're doing a solo podcast where you don't actually have to talk to anybody, nobody's voice is coming back to you, then you really don't need to worry about headphones. You right. want to make sure that you're close enough to the microphone. But the problem you run into in a nutshell is if you don't have headphones on and you're having a virtual interview, if you and I were talking right now, we, we both have headphones on, but if you didn't have headphones on, and you were hearing me through your speakers, now we're, we run into an issue where we might have echo because yeah. my voice is coming out of your speakers and then it's going back into the microphone. Mm. Now, if you're using Zoom and almost any type of conferencing software has echo cancellation, but we're, we've been, what do we deal with COVID for? Who knows? I feel like it's still happening. We all learned that that echo cancellation software is not perfect. Right. We end up, somebody's echoing, like, what is going on? Can we fix this? But when you're recording a podcast, it's more important than communication because communication, when somebody's echoing, even if it's just a little bit, it's not that big of a deal. But when you're trying to listen to a podcast and you've got echo in it, it's very annoying. And then in post-production, you might try to remove some of it. Your editor's going to have a hard time with it. Mm. You can't remove all of it. And it creates an, a, a pretty bad experience for the listener. And so putting headphones on ensures, and headphones that ideally will cover your ears, so like ones that go over your ears or ones that will plug into your ears that have a seal, like little right. rubber, yeah. little rubber tips. Yeah. Because if you're using like Apple earbuds are better than nothing. Right. But if you're using Apple earbuds, there's no seal there. Right. And the sound will still come out a little bit. So just some in-ear over-ear headphones are going to end up making a really big difference for you. And then one more thing, this would be a software because those really are the two hardware things that you really need to have. And on the software side, I there's a lot of different ways to record your podcast with other people. You can use Zoom, you can use webinar 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 software. I've seen use, but one of my favorite products is a platform called Riverside.fm. And what that platform does is it allows you to have a face to face conversation, kind of like Zoom right. does, on your web browser, so nobody has to download anything on their computer, and. It, the unique thing about it is it downloads, it records in real time directly right. to your browser and then uploads it. And so if you're using a 4K camera to record it, you can get 4K video from the guest. Most people are using 1080p. I think that's almost always sufficient, especially for anything that you're not going to be broadcasting on anything bigger than a computer. And But you're getting that 1080p camera feed where if you're using something like Zoom, usually you're getting the feed, it comes through the internet, so it's a little bit distorted. And if the, in, if my internet's bad, it's going to cut out entirely sometimes. Right. And the good thing about Riverside, it's recording everyone on separate tracks to their own browsers and then uploading it. So at the end, even if the internet was bad, I've got flawless video and I've got flawless audio because it wasn't being recorded directly to the cloud. It was being recorded locally and then upload it to the cloud. And a big plus of that is if you have a guest that has a lot of background noise or they're using mm -hmm. a really bad microphone, then any time that they're not actually speaking, you can mute their track. 
if they're on separate tracks. But if you're recording to something that's putting you on the same track as the guest in real gotcha. time, gotcha. you're going to be stuck with a lot of that. If they've got a, if they, I dealt with a doctor one time that kept birds and just the birds are in the background just the entire time. Right. And what was helpful was anytime he wasn't speaking, we muted his track. And so the entire podcast wasn't just full of those bird noises. And we didn't have to spend so much time trying to minimize some of them. So it wasn't quite so distracting. So those are probably my three favorite pieces that anybody can get started with. I'll throw one more thing on if you're doing video, just get a ring light. Please. Get yeah. something to illuminate the front of your face. Yeah. And if you have, uh, if you wear glasses, this is a co common complaint. Oh, I wear glasses and it's right in my, it comes off my face by two. Angle them at 45 yeah. degrees on each side of your head. Problem solved. But they're really inexpensive. I mean, I have pretty nice ring lights and I think I paid maybe $200 for the pair, but you can get good ring lights that are mm -hmm. serviceable for $20. Oh, yeah. And there's different types where, you know, large sizes, intensity, control. Right. Your, I, you can change them for your skin tone. Yeah. I've got two ring lights right now flanking me left and right, but I have decided within the last month to get a face ring cam, circular one for the front, sure. just because I think this just needs to be a little bit more light in here. But, you know, one thing about the headphones is that I've told like my clients for virtual hearings, which have really popped up and gotten traction in these last three years with COVID, is that even if you get the plug-in kinds with the in-the-ear, the cheap ones, it really helps cut down on reverberation and noise and also echoing. But one thing that I like about the on-the-ear headphones is that when you can cancel out the noise, and you have the noise-canceling ones. So as you and I are having this podcast, even though I have a one-directional mic, at least that's in the settings, if there's noise because of puppies or because of garbage people outside or neighbors or whatever, I don't have to hear that. It's unlikely it's going to be caught on the mic, but this way I'm not interrupted about something else going on that could interfere with the flow of the, our conversation, which sure. helps a lot and keeps me on track. Oh, so I have to ask, what are your thoughts on Bluetooth headphones? Yeah, I, I try to avoid them. Why? Well, so, well, here, let me back up because that was, I don't think I understood the question when I started to answer it as well. Sure. I think Bluetooth headphones are fine, if you're, but if you're not using them for the microphone on them. Yes. Because a lot right. of people will use their AirPods to try to record a podcast, and they are not built for that. They are built for communication. Right. They are not built for micro. The microphone is meant to talk to somebody, not record. Right. Now, I'm like, I think it's fine. I've seen a lot. Of, you're using the AirPods Pro, the AirPod Pro Max or whatever right now, right? Which I wish I had, but that's another one of those things. I think I said in the beginning, I haven't been able to rationalize the expenditure on that. And that's definitely something my wife would notice. So I do want them because I've seen a number of different people I've talked to have those on and oh my gosh, they look so great. The So as long as you're, if you're using them just to, I think that's great. The downside, I think for some people, especially people that might not be quite as tech savvy, ooh, I dropped it in there, are, is the connection. Sometimes you'll put them on and the connection will be jumping to your phone or jumping to your iPad. And so the connection issue can be a problem. Now, if you're using AirPods and you're using a Mac and no one else is going to be using your iPad or your phone, you're not likely to have that come up. But the, this happened today. Somebody was trying to use their AirPods on a call with us to record while using a Windows computer. And they were having a lot of trouble trying to connect their AirPods to a Windows computer. And you can do it, but there, there's an extra level. 
of trying to make that connection happen. And so if you feel comfortable and confident with connecting it, I think it's no problem. Every now and again, there's going to be a latency issue where the Bluetooth headphone might be a little slower. I think for the most part, that's not going to be an issue for most people. So if you test it out, you like it, use it. I don't think there's anything wrong with using it for that. I would just caution against trying to use most Bluetooth headphones for a microphone. Well, as a microphone, I got it. But for just for a headset, just to listen in, it's been fantastic. I love it in part because I'm always worried like a wire is going to get in my way when I need to get to the keyboard, et cetera. Well, last for question number three, what are three ways to best market a lawyer hosted podcast? So one of the most important ones that I see lawyers get wrong is have it on your website. People will start a podcast. Sometimes they'll start, they'll call it a podcast and it'll be on SoundCloud and nowhere else. Right. And so have it on Apple Podcasts because if it's not on Apple Podcasts, it might as well not exist. Spotify, same thing. You got to have it there. You got to have it on Google Podcasts. Those are easy things to do. So make sure it's there, but make sure it's on your website because if it's not on your website, you're losing so much. We... Your website's your storefront. You never want someone to walk into your store and have an employee at the store say, no, actually to buy that, you got to go over to this other place across town. You don't want to send people out. They're on your website. We want them to stay there. One of the great things about making good content is the SEO value of the content. It can help drive traffic if it's relevant and Google finds it and they like it. It's answering questions, but it's also nurturing the lead on your website. And what we're doing there is we're, we're telling Google the longer people are staying on our website, the longer they're staying on pages. We're telling Google, this is good content. You gave them this. They showed up, they got it, and they stayed. That's interesting content that they engaged with. That is going to help you. That's going to tell Google that's good content. So have it on your website. Don't just have a link to your podcast to send them somewhere else. Always have links to Apple, Spotify, Google. If they want to listen, they should be able to leave. Don't hold them captive. It's not a okay. good experience. But if they want to stay, let them stay. Have it on their website because if it's not there, they might not follow a link to go listen to it. So make sure that it's in. Do it like it's a blog. Think about it like a blog. You've got your main blog page, your main right. podcast page, right? And then each episode is an individual post, yep. so well, they can click in. Go ahead. Here's a silly question, then. So I practice veterans law during the day. At night, I have the dot page, which are really two different subjects. Now, granted, there are some tech issues that I bring up that helped me in my law practice veterans, but I don't think that the topic of what I do for the tech savvy lawyer is something necessarily that would drive traffic to my day job. I heard you talk, I think off mic about some national trial lawyers that have their own podcast about their cases and trial law, et cetera. That makes sense. So I would presume I would keep the two separate. No, for something like that, I would keep it separate. I've seen lawyers that will take their side project and put it on their website. I It comes back to something I said earlier. I Whenever I make any piece of content, I'm thinking about the end user. Who is this for? What do they want? And if the end user of my website is somebody that wants veterans benefits, and the end user of my podcast is a lawyer that wants tech advice, right. that is, that's, there's no overlap. I mean, there and might be one person, right? Right. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not going to put that there. I don't think that's very helpful. Now I might link it. There might be a link in my bio that says this is a podcast I host, but that's not going to be the place I would have it live. Now I'm a person who can be convinced of almost anything with the appropriate amount of evidence. So if somebody was to ping me and say, you're out of your mind, here's a really good reason and bullet point me why this matters. 
Sure. But from my side, my opinion on it is I don't think that makes much sense. I would have a completely separate brand with its own website that I am building there because I don't think those two things matter. But for a lot of lawyers, I would say 95% of the lawyers I work with have podcasts that are intended either to educate referral sources and, and or sometimes it's or are it to educate prospective clients. And a lot, of, especially the ones that educate prospective clients, we want that on our website. We want people to find answers to their questions. They can engage with us. It's got that SEO value to it and they can, it's a good place to have it. I feel like we've covered it, but it's, that's something I would very much recommend doing. It's not hard to get it there and you lose a lot by not having it there. So just have it on your website and have it on all the social media platforms. All right. So that's one. That's one. And the second one, we talk, we covered this a little, so it's a little bit of a retread, but you need to be using that content. The best, the best marketing way, I really think to get those extra impressions, to get it in front of people is to be creating that full length video, to be creating the micro content and sharing it on your social media accounts. And that's, it's, or the amount from a long-term ROI perspective, the amount of impressions you're going to get, the amount of people that are going to see what you're creating, the amount of traffic you're going to be able to drive with this back to your podcast, back to your website. Hopefully the ultimate goal is to turn that into revenue for the firm is by creating all of that micro content from it and using that on your social channels, especially the ones that are giving you such high organic engagement because those are you're, it's going to be pay to play. One of these is probably going to be the big winner between YouTube shorts and TikTok and Instagram reels. And when that winner emerges, if and when that winner emerges, it's going to become pay to play the same way the rest of them are. They're going to have a ton of eyeballs. People are going to then start paying a lot of money to have their content show up in front of people. When we post things to our Facebook business page now, almost nobody sees them. Every now and again, one post will start to perform well. But generally speaking, you'll see a post get five views and that's normal because Facebook business doesn't want your pages to be shown to people. They want you to pay them to run ads. And so right. that's making that micro content is going to be one of the very best ways that you can market it. And then another way that you can use some of that same content mm -hmm. to market is to use paid ads on this content. You know exactly what the pain points that lead people to your door or to pick up the phone and call you. You know exactly what they are because they've asked you a thousand times in consults, but you also know because you've looked at your SEO report. You know what people are searching before they land on your site. And so we know thousands of questions that people want to answer. What are the big ones? What are the ones that keep people up at night? We can create podcast episodes about that, make short form content from that and run ads. We can run a 30 second ad, a 60 second ad that speaks directly to a pain point. And then we can use targeting to try to figure out if showing this to the right people. And this isn't my lane of expertise, but I work really close with SEO firms. I work really close with all kinds of legal marketing firms doing this kind of marketing. And so I understand it well enough, but it's that's an area where you can use the content you're already making to go that extra mile for you. So instead of hiring a video crew to come in and shoot that 30 second commercial, not to say you shouldn't do that sometimes, I think they're very valuable. But you can take this content you've already created and right. run really compelling ads with it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, wait, that's two. So we need three. When I think running the ads was kind of my number three there, because it's a little separate on posting your stuff there and then taking it and actually repurposing it for ads. Okay. And there's a, but there's a number of different ways that you can do this. I think making sure that people know about it in general 
if you're the kind of lawyer that has an email list, it's mm -hmm. very beneficial to tap that email list. I know not all lawyers have email lists. Family right. law lawyers not going to put somebody on an email list and blast them so their spouse can see that they're getting email from a family law attorney. But if you're the kind of lawyer that has a list, those are your listeners right away. Your email list is your first group of listeners that are going to jump on it and because they already want to hear from you. They haven't unsubscribed to your email list. And so, hey, we've got this podcast. I think it will be valuable to you. And every time an episode comes out, shoot it out. And I always ask, if you know someone this might be valuable to, it's a very small ask. I'm not saying, please do this, do that. I'm giving you value and asking for nothing almost exclusively. I'm not asking you to do anything for me. I'm saying, I think this will be valuable for you. It's a very give, give thing. And then you make that small ask of, hey, if you know someone that you think would also find value in this, share it. Because that's where so many people are going to find out about this type of content is I've heard it called dark social, where it's outside the visibility of tracking. And a podcast is a big one that falls into that Ooh. because it, it's really hard to find, to track a listener. We're getting better at it and the consumer in me hates that, but the marketer in me, hey, what are you going to do? And, but it's still harder to track a listener through if they're just listening to your podcast, but podcasts tend to grow a little more organically. Yeah. They grow because right, if I talk to lawyers all day, every day. If somebody, if I bump into somebody and they say, hey, I'm having this issue or we just get talking about tech, I'm going to be like, oh, there's other podcasts. And that's not a stat that you can measure. You can't measure where that listener came from because I knew about you. I told that person. Right, right. And that's the way podcasts tend to grow is, and so we want to try to make sure that we're getting that core group of listeners. Now we can build them through our website. We can build them through social media, but building them through our newsletter, through our existing email list can be a way to at least let people know because those people might not even want to listen to every single episode, but they're going to know you have it. And now you've got people who are aware of it. And so when someone runs into something and they say, do you know, or they start talking about something that that can come up because people know about it. And if they don't know about it, we move that chance down to zero. Excellent. Excellent. Robert, I want to thank you for joining us today. Where can people find you? Lawpods.com is the easiest, but I was very thoughtful when I started the company and we wanted to make sure that all you had to do was type Lawpods anywhere you are and you're going to find us. So no matter Excellent. what social platform you're on, no matter if you're on LinkedIn or Facebook or anywhere, you type in Lollipods and you're going to find us. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for joining us and have a great day. No, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring. <laughs>